What's up, guys? Welcome to the Then and Now Sports Podcast. James, Nick, and Joe back here with another episode. What's going on, guys? What is good? Happy to be here. So, before we get into today's episode, our website is now live and has some stuff on it, finally. Now, we started mm-hmm. a couple of series, one of them being a Today in Sports History article. So pretty much we're going to go through every calendar day, try to find an interesting event, game, moment, something in history that relates to sports. Write a little article about that. Hope you guys would enjoy something like that. I also created an MLB Power Rankings from the All-Star break. Um, so pretty much every three series each team plays, I will be updating it, given that it's enough games. So go check it out. My first one's up. And it's, it's interesting. Very controversial take with the A's at five. That that Don't was sleep. pretty pretty hot take right Don't there. Sleep on but Oakland. We'll get past yeah, that. Yeah, don't sleep on Oakland. Don't sleep on Oakland. No, we're not talking about the Raiders. No, 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 no. I said the wrong come word. Come on, come on, come on, <laughs> come on. So today's episode, we're gonna get into the Oklahoma City Thunder of the early 2010s. It's gonna be one of our retrospective podcasts. We're just going to get into a bunch of details about what could have been, what was, and it's a very interesting story to tell. But before we get into that, that that team has finally been dismembered after two weeks ago when they traded Russell Westbrook to the Houston Rockets. Now, we haven't had time to talk about it. We haven't posted anything related to the Russ trade on the website. So what are your guys' reaction to the Westbrook to Houston trade? First of all, I was shocked um, because there there were a bunch of rumors about where Russ was going to go, ranging from the Miami Heat to the Chicago Bulls. There were a few rumors about them as well. Um, and like the Rockets just weren't on my radar. It just it just felt so out of place. But yeah, I really like this trade for the Rockets. Um, I think Russ, when it comes to his teammates, He's very defensive of them. He he stands up for his teammates, and I think that translates to the um to the um court. I think he's a lot of people are saying that those two aren't going to work together because of their styles of play, and I'll agree that we should wait until we see them on the court to make that final judgment about them. But I think Russ has a lot of respect for um James Harden. He's played with him before. I don't think there will be any issues there. It just it just comes down to um, Mike D'Antoni allowing building a game plan that allows Russell Westbrook to get his spots and get uncontested shots and drives to the lane that work for him. So hopefully they can get that done. Um, And yeah, I just I just think they're going to be a fun team to watch. Well, personally, I love this trade and I hate this trade for two completely different reasons. The reason I love this trade is more of what the NBA is becoming this offseason rather than a Cold War buildup of arms, super teams trying to win a title. It is shifting to a league that is dominated by power couples. Um, so you have Kawhi and Paul George, LeBron and AD, and now you KD, Kyrie, and now you have yes. Westbrook and Harden. So I think it's interesting from that standpoint. But... What I don't like about it is how Houston has two ball-dominant guards who primarily create shots for themselves. 
And Houston's game plan pretty much has been give the ball to James Harden. If he doesn't shoot it, he'll kick it out to someone from the three, and, and they'll shoot a three. So if this is their game plan moving forward, I'm not sure if that's going to work for Westbrook as he's averaging 29% from three-point range last season. So it'll be interesting to see how they work Westbrook into the game plan or if they just completely change it. So I understand where you're coming from with that, but I think they also just came off two seasons playing with two ball-dominant guards in Chris Paul and James Harden. Now you're just getting a huge upgrade, in my opinion, with Westbrook over Chris Paul. Now, I think the usage rates, I think Harden and Westbrook led the league and led the NBA last year in usage rates, which means they were always with the ball in their hands. They're always trying to put the shot up. So I agree, it is going to be definitely interesting to see how they, they play together. But I also think this team, the Houston Rockets, not just James Harden, the Houston Rockets help out how Russell Westbrook is going to play his game. Now, they are a team that is heavy into the three ball. They are going to shoot threes at a crazy clip. And maybe they're not... the. I think if you compare the percentages-wise, I don't think OKC and Houston are that far off on each other. But Houston shoots way more threes than them or pretty much anyone else in the league. So now I feel like that's going to be able to open up Westbrook's game as he can drive and kick out and he's going to have reliable options that he can trust from three-point range and maybe he's not going to take as many threes himself. So I think this was a huge win for the Rockets. I think they won this trade and I guess, I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Do you guys think the Rockets won this trade or was this an OKC win as they move on to the future? Well, before we get to that, I kind of want to respond to Joe first, then I'll answer your question. So to reiterate what I said before, I think um, I think Russ is going to be willing to um to give the ball up to James Harden. I think James Harden should have the ball should be the the one the offense channels through as usual. But on, on top of that, I think playing in a different system will um will positively affect. Russell Westbrook's game because yeah I think in the um while he was at um OKC he was forcing up a lot of shots he was the ball had to go through him and he's not the best shooter in the world and when the offense goes through you you have a lot of responsibility to take those tough shots and to um to basically just be that one player that everyone can rely on I don't think that's who Russell Westbrook is I think Russell Westbrook is not the player that carries a team to a championship by himself with the team on his shoulders. I think when you pair him up with another efficient player like a James Harden or in another case that we'll talk about like a KD, you get good results. Now, as we mentioned, the only question is their um is their is their play styles meshing, but as as I've said, I think they'll play well together and I think they have a lot of respect for each other and I think it'll all work out. There might be some growing pains early on, but I think th- that'll be solved as the season goes on. Um, I just don't see Russ taking a backseat to Harden after all he's done on OKC. I-, I think it's really impossible for these two to play the same way they've been playing while playing on the same team. 
So, um, that's my response to you. And also, I want to bring up that in the last three seasons, Westbrook's points per game has decreased from 31 to 25 to 22. So, okay. I just find it interesting that he gets Paul George yet his shooting is going down, and you're saying with James okay, Harden, okay. he's going to be better? Let, let, let me respond to that then. Okay, so you're saying with the style play he's been playing, where he's the channel of the offense, where he's the main channel of the offense for everyone else. He's been progressively getting worse and worse. So wouldn't a, like taking a backseat, a change of play, be better for him? And Russell Westbrook has taken this kind of role before, like I said, with KD. So the, the idea that he won't be able to now... Like, like I, I'm assuming you're just saying it's from an ego thing because I think from a play perspective, he shouldn't have that much trouble adjusting to it. Um, I think you forget Paul George was on okay. Thunder, so I, I don't see I don't see the point because he wasn't the main channel of the offense. This he was, is this is a completely different role. I don't I don't think I don't think Westbrook was the main channel. I think they relied heavily on what? Paul George. What? Who was carrying the ball up every single time? Who was taking the shots? Who was taking him? He was forcing up shots. That's why his shooting percentage was so low. I mean, I but think Paul the George problem is with OKC was to James Harden, man. No, he, what? Okay, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. Paul George is comparable to James Harden. I would not, not say in that the skill at all. sense, James not Harden. in the skill sense, but like you said, he had KD, and he didn't. He didn't win a championship with KD, who was better than James Harden. So I don't. They were I, championship caliber, though. They were championship caliber. Caliber, but they, they, they made have the finals. How many rings? And they're in the prime. They're in the primes of their career now. I don't know. I, I I disagree with your point. I like. I don't see Russ and Harden being a combination. But we should let James talk. Yeah, James. Well, get get, get your thoughts in. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate that. But it's all right. I like. I you know what I love about this Houston team. They're going to be like, they're going to be a team that grinds through the whole season. You got Westbrook and PJ Tucker and Eric Gordon. I just like the type of players there. There's some gritty players on that team. They're going to be chasing down all the loose balls. They're going to, they're going to compete. They're going to get into fights. It's going to be a really fun team, in my opinion. And I just, I can't see, you know, OKC, we'll talk about the OKC haul out of it. They get back Chris Paul. And who knows if they're going to, uh, it seems like they want to move on from that contract, but we don't know if they're going to be able to. And then they get two first round picks, one in 2024, one in 2026. Now it, it was probably smart for them to get those kind of picks as, you know, who knows with the, this player movement in the NBA now, who knows if Russ and Harden are even on the Rockets by 2026. It's a very long time from now. So I get that. But then they get two pick swaps and it's like one of them's in 2021. So they're not going to use the pick swap. They're obviously going to be a worse team than Houston in 2021. But I I think the hole was, I guess, good for what they're going for, which is a complete rebuild. But I think the Rockets, who have been knocking at the door of championship for the past two seasons and just couldn't have gotten past the Warriors, have got the piece in Westbrook. And I think they're going to be in the upper echelon of teams in the NBA. So where where do you guys think this team ranks in comparison to um, so, some of the other epi- 
upper echelon teams in the West? Where where do you think they rank in terms of seeding? I personally think maybe five. I have them five or lower, Ooh. honestly. Yeah, five or lower. I think the Oof. West is too strong, and I, and I just, again, I've always been sleep on the Rockets. I've always known that this team really can't win with the way they were playing, and I'm interested to see the way they will play with this new roster move that they made, but I just think the West has way too many powerful teams for this to even be a top-four seed in the West. Five, if they're lucky, is mine. Well, James? I agree there are some very good teams in the West, but you look at teams like the Nuggets, the Jazz, and the Blazers, very talented teams, What like a lot of depth on that team, but I think they don't have the stars that Houston does. Now, it remains to be seen can Westbrook and Harden finally live up to their their potential in the playoffs? Because that's been an issue for them. They they have had moments in the playoffs where they go completely cold, but they've also had great moments, which I feel like are very understated, and their reputation as bad playoff players just take over when they have had some great games in the past. But I think Houston is definitely a top two or three team. I think if you want to compare, I, I would compare them more to like the Lakers and the Clippers. And I would say the Clippers have more better all-around depth than the Rockets do. But I don't know about the Lakers. Uh, I think LeBron and AD is as good as it gets, but we're going to have Rondo and KCP playing big minutes next year. I don't know. I don't know if the Lakers can go seven deep in a seven-game series with, wow. with the Rockets. I think wow. it's going to be tough for them. Bad. And they're going to... No, I think, listen, if Anthony Davis has an MVP season, which he's definitely capable of and I think he I think he will have he's up there for my MVP candidates at least but I they're gonna need him to be an MVP in my opinion to to make moves I just don't think they have the depth to do it this year and I think a team like the Rockets who's been playing the Warriors they've been the best team I think we could all agree over the past couple of seasons the best the most competition for the Warriors when fully healthy was the Rockets the Rockets could beat them when fully healthy and you know, they came up short in the past two playoffs, but I think this team is finally ready to win a championship. Well, okay. Yeah, you could go. For, yeah, you go. Thank you. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, for the first point, um, I, I don't believe that they're on the level of the Lakers, but I do think they're in the top half of the West. Definitely. I would put them in that three to four seed range, depending on, when Clay comes back for the Warriors, because I also think the Warriors, as a healthy team, are in that area, are in that zone. But in comparison to the Lakers, um, I think the Warriors over the past few years have proven that if you have enough talent, if you have enough um synergy between teammates, well, that remains to be seen. But if you if you have the right components for a championship team, the depth it comes second. But but that also includes. A variety of factors, a variety of perfect factors working together. And I think the Lakers and the Clippers are those type of teams. So hopefully they prove me right. But yeah, I, I don't think the Rockets are on that level. I definitely think they're competing. I think they're contenders, but I put them right behind those those teams. Um, first of all, I want to start by responding to James. I think the best team fully healthy, even when they weren't fully healthy. That I mean, maybe you were just talking about Western teams, but the Cavaliers in 
in the year that they won and the year before that when they lost to the Warriors in the finals. I think that was the best competition the Warriors faced um, in the league. Also, well, I would have to say that. Not with KD, though. Not with KD. That's true. But I don't know. I, I mean, the, the Rockets never beat him. The Cavs beat him one time. So yeah, yeah, no, you got it there. But um, I would also say that LeBron James in the postseason, like I, I know he wasn't here this postseason, so maybe we forgot. But I, I don't think that the Rockets stand a chance. I think it's maybe six. Like six is me being generous for the Rockets if they have to face the Lakers. And that's just based on what I've seen LeBron do in the playoffs. So Lakers in six is uh, what you're jacking. And, and wait, wait. Uh, this is what I'm jacking. This is what I'm jacking. <laughs> I'm saying that Houston will not be a top five seed. I have Utah over them. Portland, Denver. Jeez. Clippers. Oh, and Lakers. No. Oh, no. And oh, no. I don't know. I'm just telling you right now that I don't see Houston being a top five seed. And I look like a Stephen A. Smith re- reaction gif right now. I'm That's telling what I you look right like. now, I don't oh, know Lord. if they get out of the first round because this these two uh, you're, stars you're, you're, are no known. Oh they are notorious. Oh they are notorious no. for coming up short in the oh, playoffs. Some Max Kellerman shit. <laughs> they are notorious for coming short in the oh, playoffs. My Lord. And we will see this team come up short. Mark my words. You know, as much as I go to the podcast, as much as much as I disagree with that, you do have a point. You do have a point, honestly, because they have come up short in the past couple of seasons in the playoffs. But they have had their moments where they have shown they could take over a game. Harden did it a couple of times against the Warriors this season. It might have been game three or game four. They had an overtime game and Harden went off. He was he was carrying the, the Rockets through that game. I remember who remembers the game against Utah last year in the play, 2018 playoffs when Westbrook they were they had a huge deficit at halftime and Westbrook just carries them through an insane third quarter and fourth quarter and inches them back in the game and they end up winning that game. Now of course they don't win the series and the same with Harden they they haven't been able to finish in the playoffs. But as we're about to get into with their history, they have a history together. And these are guys that know each other, and I think they're going to be able to play with each other. And I think these two together, finally reunited, is I I see a championship for these two. Maybe not this year, but I think the NBA is wide open now, and we're going to see a Rockets championship within the next couple of seasons, in my opinion. Oh, my Lord. No All shot these they bold win the West. takes. No shot they win. Yeah, no. I don't know about that. Like, I mean, everyone's I, giving the Clippers the championship already. No, no, no. And listen, no. I... Well, what? Why? Not well, us. Not well, us. Well, I mean, well, the Clippers are the favorite right now. I don't know if, the, yes, if you go on the, the odds makers, they're the favorite to win the I'm NBA not, championship. I'm not, ruling, I'm not even ruling out the Rockets, but to say they're going to win a championship in like the next two years, like that's basically what you just said. No, I'm not. I'm not going to agree with that. Outright. Always sleep on the Rockets. I just um, think it's a wide open NBA now, and I'm I'm I think these two guys, these are two MVPs in the past three seasons. These are two of the past three MVPs, so I think they're gonna work together, and I think they have a deep team and a great coach. That's another thing. I think this is a big improvement on the coaching for Russell Westbrook. I don't think he's played with a coach like Mike D'Antoni, and I think D'Antoni is gonna have a lot of fun with having Westbrook as his point guard. 
And I think that's only going to improve Westbrook's game and improve the Rockets as a team. Well, the reason they won these MVPs is because they weren't on the same team and they were both able to dominate the ball. Now that they are on the same team, I don't think they'll be putting up the same numbers as they've been putting up because the pressure won't really be on an individual one of them, but rather as a group. I don't think they have to worry about putting up numbers, though. I think the goal is playing together and winning winning games, and I think they're going to learn how to win together. I don't. Yes. I think. I think this is going to be the last time you. I don't think you're going to see Harden or Westbrook win MVP again. That's. that's what I I'm think saying. that they probably won't because now they're going to rely on each other a lot. But I think that's a good thing. I think now you're going to get the best out of these guys because these guys are going to have a more team oriented focus. And not to say that they haven't. Of course they have. But I think they felt like they had to carry the load of their respective teams. And now they have a guy. They they have each other and they can both you know take their share. So, okay, but so so to add to that, I I I think that um that James Harden should definitely still be the channel of the offense, the main channel for the entire offense. I definitely think he should hold the ball like coming up all the time. But I agree with the um the team like aspect that that you're going for here. I think that having Russell Westbrook like an- another elite driver to the basket and another great athlete at his disposal is going to make the load on um James Harden a lot lighter and it's going to it's going to improve the team overall. It it really depends on the play styles. That's the only question when it comes to to these two working together, but I've already stated my reasons on why I think it will work for them. Um, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. Uh, we clearly don't agree on this, so I guess we'll just wait for the season to start. Yeah, True. It's going to be interesting. Well, now let's get into our main focus for the podcast today and dive into the Oklahoma City Thunder. And now this is kind of a, not a new thing, but 15 years ago, we didn't have the Oklahoma City Thunder. And... Joe, you got some details about their initial move from Seattle to OKC. Well, they relocated because the owner, the original owner of the Supersonics tried to persuade the Washington government to provide $220 million in public funding to update the arena that the Supersonics played in, which only allowed for 17,000 people and was the smallest venue in the NBA. So, failure to do so, he sold the, uh, the team to Oklahoma City businessman, Clay Bennett, who currently owns the OKC Thunder. And the condition of the sale was that they had to find uh, a suitable arena in Seattle. And, and uh, he, he was unable to do so. Because local governments refused to have $500 million taken out of taxes to pay for it. So, Bennett actually wanted to take his team back to OKC. But the issue was that there was a lease agreement that the Supersonics had to play in Key Arena until 2010. So, there was a whole court case about this. And uh, Bennett's group of investors ended up having to pay $45 million dollars for breaking the lease, and an extra $30 million if there was not a replacement team in the next five years. So that's actually why they ended up moving. 
But what sparked interest in having an NBA team was actually because when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, the, uh, the Hornets, who actually played in New Orleans at that time, were actually playing in OKC while they rebuilt their, their stadium. So that's what got Bennett and his whole group of investors interested in buying an NBA team. Yeah, we bring up that point because I think when people look back on the Seattle and NBA uh, history, I feel like it's a little bit distorted now. I feel like people think that there was this effort from the NBA to make sure Seattle doesn't have a team and try to move past that that market. But I think this shows more about the Seattle side. I think not not the fans, more so like the city officials and whoever's controlling this. You know, you let your team for so long have the smallest venue in the NBA and decide you're not going to remodel. You're not going to help them out in any other way. Well, I mean, you can't expect to do that and continue to have a team. It's happened in so many other sports. We've seen it with the Chargers in San Diego. You've seen it with the the Rams in St. Louis. Eventually, these teams are just going to get sick of, hey, why does our stadium like this? Why can't we make more money on this? So... You know, I, I feel bad for the fans of Seattle because they are a great, they're very loyal. You still see, I've seen people with Sonics jerseys still, and it's it's not a dead franchise. I, I hope to see them back in the NBA eventually. We had, there were some rumors that the Kings were going to move from Sacramento to Seattle, but that was, that was shut down pretty shortly after that they even tried. So, yeah, I, I just think that the Seattle move was... The Seattle move to OKC was for the best because OKC, again, you, like you brought up the Katrina factor, they were very loyal during that time period to the Hornets, a team that, you know, they were close to, but I guess they, that just became their home. And the fans were very loyal, and I just thought it ended up being a great move from Seattle to OKC. Also, I can't help but sympathize with Sonics fans because their their team just drafted Kevin Durant Mm-hmm. As the year before they moved and like they, they got robbed of so many years with an all time great player who who knows like what happens, how how big, how revitalized that fan base is after a few years with Kevin Durant. It's just it's just really a shame because Seattle's a big market with some dedicated fan bases like the Seahawks. And if they had a good team, I just I just want I. I just wish I could see how the market looked and how that state, how a new stadium in Seattle could have felt like, um, with with the KD led franchise. Yeah, it's definitely a what if, what could have been, but they actually made another move before we get to KD. They saw, they get a new general manager and Sam Presti, and this guy's fingerprints are going to be all over the franchise. From 2007 to today, to two weeks ago when he trades Russell Westbrook, but he goes on an insane stretch, which it's going to be a pretty simple question. I feel like you guys are going to agree with me, but he drafts in three straight years in 2007, KD at number two, 2008, Russell Westbrook at number four, and 2009, James Harden at number three. So this has to be the greatest stretch of picks in an NBA draft history, like, doesn't it? In terms of individual talent, absolutely. I, I don't think there's any comparison in NBA history drafting three consecutive MVPs, future MVPs. In terms of individual talent, just 
it's just mind blowing. But in terms of what they do with that talent and building that t- the team around those players, they, there's there's a lot of teams that did a lot better. But we'll we'll get into that later. Um, I would say that them drafting those three back to back to back is actually insane because they were the first franchise in NBA history to draft three consecutive first-round picks and have them all turn out to be MVPs. And on top of that, these three players have combined for eight of the last ten scoring titles. But I guess something that isn't as um, crazy and monumental would be what the Warriors did. It wasn't consecutive years, but in 2009, the first round they drafted Steph Curry. In 2011, the first round they drafted Klay Thompson. And in 2012, they drafted Draymond Green in the second round, which isn't the same thing, but they did draft three All-Stars with, within a span of, of uh, three years. So I, I think that's pretty impressive, but I don't think anything compares to what Sam Presti did. Yeah, and we're going to get to the eventual Harden trade later, but think about how we were robbed. Because you, you, like you brought up, the Warriors did a, had a great stretch of picks too. So imagine, we did see OKC and Warriors in the playoffs, but imagine that with Harden on OKC. Harden on OKC against the 73-win Warriors. Feels like we were robbed of something, you know? That would be tough, though, to keep all three of them. That would be so tough. Yeah, we'll get into that Long-term? Yeah. We'll get into that, yeah, because that's a big discussion, that Harden trade. So let's just start off from the beginning of the story. The 2009-2010 season. The Oklahoma City Thunder are the youngest team in the league. So you have these three straight draft picks, and of course they're young, and they're not the polished players that they turned out to be just from the first season, but they are a a young group of talented players. So I think a lot of people in the league saw that, and they end up winning 50 games. But the crazy part about this is this shows you how loaded the West was. They're an eight seed with 50 wins. So it's a pretty tough stretch. Now, throughout the season, KD has his first... I think this is the season that KD arrived. Westbrook and Harden were still probably a couple years away, but KD leads the league in minutes played that season, and he averages 30 points a game, ends up first-team All-NBA. So, very successful first season with these guys, all three of them together. Now, they go up against the LA Lakers in the first round, who are coming off their five-game NBA championship win over the Magic the previous season. And they're the champions, and they're they're in their first round going up against this young, hungry OKC team. And my question to you guys is, does playing a team with this championship pedigree like the Lakers, does that help all three of these guys turn into the players that they become? Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think every every time you lose to a team of this caliber in the playoffs, especially as young players, that's a learning experience for them um and playing a team that has an all-time great player Kobe Bryant a a player that's built his reputation on being clutch and being built for big playoff moments I think there's no better place to learn from than that um you're going against one of the greatest playoff performers of all time and you're you're getting a feel for what playoff basketball is about. You're understanding what playoff basketball is about in comparison to just a regular game. And I also think it just builds synergy between these three players. It just 
boosts the chemistry between them because they're going through these obstacles together. They're, they're, they're facing these challenges, succeeding and failing together. And that, and that builds a bond between them that, that strikes them to accomplish these goals that they set out to achieve. So yeah, I, I, I think it's a learning experience in every way. I 100% agree. I think that going up against Kobe Bryant in the playoffs, one of the most competitive guys the NBA has ever seen is definitely a learning experience, especially when it was, uh, it was the first time this team had made the playoffs. And also, if you look at Game 6 in that series, if Gasol doesn't tip that ball in that Kobe missed with just one second left, this is a team that is going to Game 7 against the one-seeded Lakers. And I think that is is a great accomplishment that not people know, not many people know that happened, but it is a what-if scenario. Like, they did lose in six, but it definitely is uh, an accomplishment to take the Lakers to six, I think. Yeah, I love the point you guys brought about Kobe. And when you look at these three players, KD, Westbrook, and Harden, I think going up against a player like Kobe really helped them establish like an alpha dog mentality. Because when you look at it, Russ becomes the, the alpha dog of the OKC team for years to come after everyone leaves. Harden goes to Houston. He becomes the leader of that team. He, he's running the show there. And now I, I know people love to say, oh, well, the Warriors are Steph's team. And, you know, KD just came aboard. But if we're talking just on the court and just mentality on the court, KD was the leader of that team. The guy who wasn't, not to say that Curry or Clay were afraid of the big shots, but I think KD loved those. I feel like watching KD with the Warriors, he was trying to always be involved with the last play of the game, the big moments of the game. KD wanted the ball in his hands. So I feel like Kobe is where they maybe they learned this alpha dog mentality. Maybe they always had it. And going up against a guy like Kobe just brings it out of them even more. And, you know, you learn how to compete in the playoffs because everyone says, hey, this is a di- the playoffs is a completely different story than just a regular season game. So you have to learn to play it. And in your first season together, as these three together, you win 50 games. I feel like there's not much more you can ask for them. And they lose to the Lakers, who become the champions that season. They, the Lakers go on to beat the Celtics in seven games. So I, it's tough to say that there's a successful season when you're bounced in the first round. But I, I believe that it was when you have such a young team like that. Also, to add on to this, you, you got to like respect the fact, as you said, these are all alpha dog players. Um, these are all players known for being um, dominant with the ball in their hands, all being trusted with the ball in their hands. So you, you got to respect the fact that they were able to work together seamlessly for this entire run of years. And we're, we're going to get more into, into their accomplishments later. But yeah, it, it's just incredible. But the combination of talent, and um, sportsmanship between them. So now I guess we're, we're finished with that season. They, they lose to the Lakers in six. And they go on to 2010. And this is more of the same. They win 55 games instead of 50 games. So it's, it's a nice little five-game improvement. KD for the second season in a row leads the NBA in scoring. A little bit of a drop-off from 30 points, but 27.7 a game. No one's complaining about that. First team All-NBA for KD again. And now you see Russell Westbrook. He gets second team All-NBA. So Russell Westbrook in this season starting to become into his version of his own player. 
So it was interesting to see them grow up a lot through the season. Then they get their first playoff series when they take down the Nuggets in five games and they move on to a team I want to mention a little bit here, the Memphis Grizzlies. And I think this is a team that is known. I think we all know they were the eight seed that took down the Spurs that one year. They get to the conference finals another year. But I do feel like they do get forgotten a lot. So I don't know. Do you guys believe that the Grizzlies should get more respect than they already do? Or do you feel like they already get enough respect? Joe, you want to go first? Okay. Um, I think the Grizzlies get enough respect for what they were. Um, they were a grit and grind team, and that was actually their nickname. But I, I do think that it should be appreciated and, and, uh, and talked about how they were the first team, first eight seed to beat a first seed, which they did against the Spurs. But that was also a Spurs team with an injured Ginobili and and without Kawhi Leonard because they had drafted him the year after. But the deepest playoff run this team has ever had was in the 12-13 to 13 season, and, and they were swept in the conference finals. So, so my take on the Grizzlies is that they were a good defensive team. Like, they were a good team above average, but I don't think they were ever good enough to represent the West. But they definitely put Memphis on the map which I guess was needed, um, but they're back to being not so good of a team as they're in a rebuild right now. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'll always remember this team because I, I always remember like eight seeds beating one seeds. It's only happened um, four times in NBA history. So when it does happen, it really sticks in your mind. And yeah, I, I, I've always had a love for this team along with the we believe warriors just just two teams that 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 defied the odds and it's crazy because this team like went up against three future mvps all this talent the thunder had and pushed them to seven games that's that's the power of good teamwork that's the power of good coaching by lionel hollins former brooklyn nets head coach might i add um, but yeah, I, I, I just liked everything about this team, but th- this podcast is about the thunder. So let's get back yeah, to that. If I could just bring up one more point about the, the Grizzlies, I feel like they were just missing that one star that can go and get them a bucket whenever they want. Now you look at this roster. It's a very talented roster. Tony Allen is regarded as one of the best defensive players in NBA history. He's at least up there, maybe 15, 20 best defensive players. I, I think. He's just, he's got unbelievable attitude towards defense and a lot of guys praise him because of it. And then of course you got Rudy Gay, who's a great player. Uh, Mike Conley, Marcus Saul. There, there are some really good players on this team. And, you know, I feel like they, I agree with you, Joe. Joe, that was a good point. They probably weren't good enough to win the entire Western Conference, but I still think that they, I feel like they get forgotten a lot and, you know, Maybe as time goes on, they'll get more respected as they were probably the last team of this decade to be that good at defense and get to far in the playoffs pretty much based on your defense. So I think they'll always be remembered for that. But like you said, this is about OKC. So we'll move on from the Grizzlies because I guess the OKC Thunder also moved on from the Grizzlies. They take them down seven games 
one of those game four of that series was actually went to three overtimes, which OKC pulls that out. That game is you, so wild. You know what I found interesting about game. about uh, these two playoff series was I feel like we 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 didn't notice what we got from Durant and Westbrook, but if you look in game seven against um, in game seven against the Grizzlies, Durant put up thirty nine points. In, in Game 7, and Westbrook recorded a triple-double, and if you look in the series before that against the Nuggets, Durant scored 41 and 16 in the fourth, while Westbrook also had a triple-double, so it, it's kind of funny how that they were doing that in the playoffs, but we kind of forgot about that. Yeah, their yeah. they're, they're supporting cast underperformed during this run, too. Just, just cool. got to add that in there. Yeah. Well, I think they're just so, they're so young at this point, and they're gonna get theirs, which I it shows how great they turn out to be. But I feel like, you know, it's tough for when you look at these teams. The Grizzlies was a great test, I think, but the team like the Nuggets, I don't think the Nuggets were really that. They, I'm pretty sure, 2010-11. They traded Carmelo that season. Am I correct on that? Um, I believe I am. Yeah, yeah, I think you I, are. I'm correct. Yeah, so they trade. So they're playing without Carmelo, but I know they got some good pieces out of that. The Nuggets weren't a terrible team, but that OKC had the talent advantage there. You go to a team like the Grizzlies, who has a, a veteran advantage, at least on that end, being able to take them down in seven games against a tough team, that, that I feel like builds character, and that led to the next season. But before we get to that next season, they lose to the Mavericks in five games in the Western Conference Finals. Now... Listen, it's a big improvement from the 0-9-10 season as you go from first-round exit to Western Conference Finals exit. You finish as one of the top four teams in the NBA, which, listen, you, you can't hold your head down when you're such a young team and you're steadily improving like this. Now, we're going to get into this final season with all three of them together, and this is this is their season. This I feel like they knew that this would... I guess the general manager knew... Hey, this is my season to go out and get them. I, I, we got to get a championship this year. Now, again, another unbelievable season by KD. Leads the league in points again, twenty eight points a game. Leads the league in minutes played again. This he he had twenty five thousand four two thousand. I'm sorry, twenty five thousand. Imagine two thousand five hundred forty six minutes. That's a hundred more minutes played than the second place finisher that year. So they're. They're putting KD out there, and they're they're saying we're going as far as you take us, and he's first team All NBA again. And I want to ask you guys this about KD. So this is now his third straight season leading the league in points. I'm gonna put you. I'm gonna bring you guys back to 2012. You're in that year. Are you looking at Kevin Durant as one of the three or four best players in the NBA at that time? Well, I think if he wins that championship he's on the same level as like a LeBron or Kobe I would definitely say he's top five top five definitely but it's still very early in his career and also like LeBron LeBron like kind of like smoked the war not the Warriors (laughs) not the Warriors the Thunder the Thunder in that in that series that year in the finals so it kind of put to rest any comparisons between the two at that time but obviously, as KD's career went on, he started to build that resume up and gain that acclaim as one of those 
very, very top players in the league. So yeah, definitely top five. Definitely top five. I don't know about top three. I, I agree. I would say he was definitely looked at as an elite player at this time, but I don't think he was he was on the same level as LeBron, at least in the view of everyone else. Um, but I think everyone could see the potential that he had. So I would say he's top five, but also not top top three. So I agree with Nick. Well, I think LeBron, that was LeBron's, that might have been his best season, the 2011-12 season. Coming off the disappointing uh, loss against the Mavs, I think he went all out that season. And he wins MVP. And so I wouldn't say maybe he's not on LeBron's level. He, but I think the level right under LeBron, like you guys have been saying, top, he's a top five player at that time. And I, I'm also going to agree. But I feel like he, you know, I think he's neck and neck with Kobe at this point. Kobe's a great player at this point in his career still. But I think KD's right there with him. And KD just, I just think his game is so special in the sense of this guy is seven feet tall and he can shoot threes like like it's lights out. Like he's Steph Curry or Ray Allen. He's, he's a comparable shooter to those guys. And in a guy who's that tall and has those athletic traits, it's so rare to see. And, you know, we're going to appreciate KD, uh, you know, what, like the, when you think about it, he's getting older now and he's coming off this injury. So I hope we haven't seen the best of KD. I hope there's still more of this guy left to go. I'm sure Nick hopes that as well. Yeah, I was but. about to say, uh, I appreciate KD more than ever right now. I, I appreciate oh, I it more why. than I ever I did. I, <laughs> but also in terms of KD's evolution as a player, I, I was watching some tape in preparation of this podcast and it's crazy how much he's evolved and like when when you look at his rookie season you see this player with tremendous shooting ability scoring ability overall but he was a very raw ball handler and he was also um he he wasn't as good as creating space for himself as he is now and like in the and I don't mean just like like with his ball handling, I also mean with like in the post. Like we see KD so much in the post nowadays, and using those moves, using step packs, using his ball handling to create space. When when you look at 2007 KD, that's almost non-existent. So I've really grown to appreciate his evolution as a player, and I think anybody who says like the Warriors alone made him better is really just kidding themselves at this point. He he has evolved so much. Everything he's everything he's attained, he's worked for in terms of skill and championships, and I think that narrative needs needs to pass by a little bit. Not not saying I condone the move by the way. That that move was still kind of kind of iffy, but now he's on the net, so it's all good. It's all of good now. It's all good now. Um let's get into uh what they did in the playoffs in 2011-2012 though. Well, in my opinion, this is the best run. I'll say the past ten years, because I, I'm not too privy to the '80s and '90s runs of the teams that just missed out on championship. But at least of the past ten to fifteen to twenty seasons, this is the best run in the playoffs of a team that did not win the championship. And look at these teams that they beat. They go through. They sweep the Mavs in the first round. Now this is the NBA champion Dallas Mavericks. So obviously that was a big upset and no one expected the Mavs to win that. 
but you take down the champs in four games in the first round, that, that says a lot about you. Then we go into the Lakers, who they started this big journey with against in the playoffs, right? They smack up the Lakers in this series. There was a couple of close games. It was a very low scoring contest. And it was, uh, I think it was 77, 75 or something. It's crazy to look back and see those scores in the NBA. And now you, you see 77, 75 in the second quarter sometimes. But they beat, they just, I think in this series against the Lakers, they were just a clear, clearly better team, which is crazy to think about because the Lakers are coming off a, a great dynasty run. And if there's anything you guys are going to get from this podcast, it's, it's a known moment in NBA history, but the Russell Westbrook end one in game five, when he's just, he's got open space and someone, I can't remember who the player is that fouls him, but just grabs his whole body and Russell still gets the shot off. And I think this talks a little bit about the move to OKC. That place explodes when Westbrook makes that shot. And that, what do you guys think about the atmosphere in OKC that in the playoffs, at least do you guys think in the NBA, at least it's, it's one of the best atmospheres in all of the league. I agree. I, yeah, I think it, they're definitely, um, great a great fan base especially because you know this is really their their first their first major team like this so yeah i, I think the support they show is is fair yeah i think i think the um the support they get is really great i really appreciate the um okc fan base um and they don't they don't really have another team like this to 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 get behind in that in that region really besides college football and college sports so it really it, it probably really resonates with them that having this team having this professional team that they can call their own but talking about the run itself also in 2011 to 2012 um i i like the narrative of like this this run because it's like they're overcoming all of the obstacles that that stifled them in the past. They beat the Mavericks, they beat the Lakers, and it's just like it's it's poetic in a way that it ended up this way. Obviously, they didn't end up winning, but I I really like that the the run really sticks with me. Well, I didn't even mention who they beat in the Western Conference Finals. No cupcake there. They beat the Spurs in six games. And now the Spurs would go on to the next two NBA championships, and OKC kind of stifled them before they got to their run. But, I mean, this run, you beat Dirk, Kobe, and Tim Duncan, all in one playoffs, and then you have to go play the big three heat? This might be the toughest, like, stretch of series. Like, like man, this is just murderers rowing. They run through it. They run through the West, at least. They, they, had, they didn't play seven games in the first three rounds well so. to be fair to be fair i think in a few years we'll be looking at these other playoff runs too and thinking about how tough they were like some of the recent more recent ones mm-hmm. but yeah this is definitely like in terms of the past decade this is definitely one of the toughest playoff runs and they made it look they made it look as easy as it can be really well, but go Joe. oh sorry <clears throat> um I feel like you guys are really, you guys are really loving how they got through the West, and I love it too. Like sweeping, sweeping the Mavs, 
gentlemen sweeping the Lakers and then winning in six against the Spurs is definitely something to to applaud. But they lost in, in five games in the finals, so I feel like that should be talked about too because they won the first game. Yeah, and then, no, no, we're going to get and into then they that. Got, they got demolished after that. LeBron was fed up, man. He was LeBron just was fed, fed up. up so he was like... It was... It was he was fed up. It was the be- It was a good Western Conference run, but when they got to the finals, I they they didn't stand a chance. Well, let's get into that finals series now. You got two big threes now. At the time, OKC's big three isn't seen in the same light as Miami big three, nor should they have been. Uh, at least at the time. Of course, these three guys win MVPs eventually. But in 2011-12, James Harden's coming off the bench. He's the sixth man. He's running a lot with the second unit, but he's dominating with the second unit. And this is they just run into this Miami team who, Nick said before, fed up. LeBron is absolutely fed up. He had that season from hell, which we talked about a little bit at the, be- the beginning of that season with the Decision Podcast. But now he needs this championship in the worst way. He's getting crushed every which way. By everyone in the media, former players. It gets off to a bad start for LeBron, at least. The Thunder win game one, and they win it by 11 points. KD puts up 36 points. And it looks like, hey, this young team is ready to go until the next four games hit, which they don't end up winning another one. Miami runs through them in game two. They get a close, close two games they win. And then game four and five, a little bit further apart. So, just, uh, Nick, I want to bring up a point you said before when you were bringing up that, you know, KD just wasn't really ready to be on the level of LeBron yet. Now, I somewhat agree because I just think this was peak LeBron. It's tough to beat that. But in this series, Kevin Durant averaged 30 points a game. And this is in the NBA Finals. This is the the big moment for him. And he shows up. He's ready to, to compete. So... I think that KD obviously showed a lot about himself through these three regular seasons, but I think he showed the most about himself through the finals. Even though they lost, you can't put it all on him as, you know, him and Russell averaged over 25 points a game, but everyone else is under 12.4 points a game. So I think it's just tough to win a series like that, but I do think Kevin Durant showed a lot about himself in this NBA finals. Okay, so I think... Yes, KD was amazing in that series, and I think it speaks to a lot to him that when we talk about when when players like don't win championships, they're often questioned. But KD during his time with the Thunder, he was never questioned as a clutch performer or as an individual player. He was never questioned as not having that killer instinct like what they did with LeBron. He was always seen as giving his all and performing when needed. I, I don't think it actually people would defer the blame to Russell Westbrook most of the time when concerning the Thunder's issues like late, late in their run when it was just mm-hmm. Russ and KD. So, yeah, no one's ever questioned KD's ability as a player, which is very interesting. And also, you talk about KD's performance in those finals. He was great, but LeBron was just a whole different beast. Like I said, he was fed up. 28 points per game for the entire series. 
averaging a double-double with 10 rebounds, over 10 rebounds, also putting up seven assists per game. Almost a triple-double. Almost a triple-double for the series. Like I said, KD was top five at the time, but I just think LeBron was a step ahead. I'm going to bring up um, like a different look at the series because you guys talked about numbers, and I just want to say that um, if you look at if you look at game two, it, this is where it starts. The OKC is down five with thirty seven seconds left. Durant hits a three. They're down two. Uh, they get the ball back because the Heat did not score, and Durant has a chance to tie it, and he misses you know a shot that he normally makes. It was probably a a, a nine foot jumper away from the basket. And they lose the game. So we're going to go to game three now. And with a minute, 30 seconds left, they go on a 6-0 run. But after that 6-0 run, they're within a point. They don't score another basket. So that's the second time they've, they've made a mistake. Well, not a mistake, but they haven't been there when they should be. And then, I don't know if you guys remember this, but in game four of that series, uh, Westbrook fouled. Mario Chalmers, who actually had a great game in Game 4, but he thought the shot clock would reset, and there was an NBA rule at that time that... Oh, I do remember this. And, yes. and, and oh, it really I cost do. them the I game. Do. And that less than... It was less than one minute in the fourth quarter. Um, The team that previously had the ball regained possession off the tip that the NBA shot clock was not reset. This. So I just think that LeBron played amazingly, KD played amazingly, but I think that if it wasn't for the mental errors, which showed how young OKC really was, I think that they could have won the series, or at least yeah, at least took exactly. It just shows how young this team was, and it's crazy. This is such a, like, this is three seasons of them, like, really playing together as a team, as a cohesive team that has these three all-time players on the same roster. And, yeah, it just shows some of the the mental mistakes that you're going to make and you're going to learn from as a young team. Something I want to bring up, though. So, we talk about James Harden as a sixth man at this time, but I want to bring up to you guys a quote from Chris Bosh. This is, he was on the Bill Simmons podcast a while back, and he was talking a little bit about the OKC series. And he talks about James Harden, and his quote about Harden is, uh, I'm going to read a couple quotes, they're pretty long, but I think it gets across a good point. And I quote, he was the key to the series for us. We had to stop him because we were like, the top guys are probably going to get theirs. Harden, if you look at all their games, especially when we beat the, when he beat the Spurs that year, he was the point guard handling the ball, and that allowed KD and Russ to play off the ball. What do you do? So then he also goes on to say, we were on him like a dog on a bone, and we were going to trap him every single time, not letting him have any open look. So I think that's pretty crazy to think about. Now, Harden averages 12 points a game in this series, so they do a great job of locking him up. But it's kind of crazy to think they were so focused on the sixth man of this OKC team. And, you know, like he, he says, he play, letting KD and Russ play off the ball is just scary. And, and there's not really an answer for that. So taking down Harden was the, the first step in being able to take advantage of this young team. 
I don't know. I just thought it was very interesting to see how highly he praises Harden at such a young age. No, that's very interesting. And I think that's a good segue to um, the James Harden trade, if we want to get into that. Yeah, this is so four days before the regular season starts in the 2012-2013 season. OKC decides after hitting James Harden with a pretty disrespectful contract offer, I believe it was four years for $44 million, which at the time, he was a sixth man, but as you can see from that Bosch quote, he didn't really play like a sixth man. This is not a guy who was just your ordinary sixth man. This guy commanded a lot of money and he deserved it. So OKC decides we're not going to pay this guy. And they trade him. Cole Aldrich and Daquan Cook and Lazar Hayward, some some big names to go along with Harden. I don't even. It's kind of crazy to think trade James Harden and you have to throw other players in. I'm pretty sure Cole Aldrich was a high draft pick or at least a top fifteen or so draft pick. It's pretty crazy to throw him in there. And they get back Kevin Martin, Jeremy Lamb, and three three two first round picks with one of them being a second. And the guys they got from those. They end up getting Mitch McGarry with one first-round pick, Steven Adams, who still plays for them now with another first-round pick, so that worked out at least. And they get Alex Abrinas with the, one of the second-round picks. Robbery. Of course it's a robbery. Ba- I mean, ba- Basically, James Harden for Steven Adams. That's basically the basically. trade that went down. <laughs> That's basically the trade that went down. You're really going to disrespect Mitch McGarry like that? I'm sorry, Mitch McGarry, but wow, wow, unbelievable. But just yeah, not, no, it is a robbery. It's so way. easy. It's another one of those things easy to say in hindsight. But how about this? Let's go on a different route. What are some other ways they could have retooled that team? Uh, something I thought about. Now, I wish we mentioned this guy earlier because there's a big three in OKC, but there's other players too. There's guys like Top with Cephalosha. He was on their team for a while. Derek Fisher even came on for the 11-12 season, so they had other guys. But this guy was a huge piece, Serge Ibaka, who is coming off first-team all-defense in the 2011-12 season. He leads the league in blocks per game. Is there any thought to, hey, if I I need some depth or something, and I, like, listen, maybe just don't pay Serge Ibaka, try to get off his contract. He's still a young asset at the time attach a draft pick or two to him and maybe try to get some more death pieces to surround Harden, KD, and Westbrook. Do you guys that could think that could have been something attainable to the Thunder at the time? It's funny, James, because I did some research and Sam Pre- Presti's thought process was the exact opposite of what you just said. Oh, he really? was like, yes, he was, according to the research I've done, according to reports I've done, it was either between like committing to Serge Ibaka or James Harden because they wanted that really? additional debt. Yes, they wanted that that money for the additional debt, so they were scared to commit a lot of money to either one of them. But once like James Harden, it was clear that he didn't want to stay for a certain amount of money. They shipped him off and fully committed to Serge Ibaka and adding debt. So. Yeah, that, that's basically the answer to, to your question. They should have done the opposite, basically. <laughs> but, like, Serge is not a bad player by any means. He's a really good player, actually. But James Harden, like, as, as he evolved as a player, it, it's just no comparison. Well, the way I look at it is um, that they definitely should have kept Harden. Um, 
Although it would have been impossible because OKC knew they couldn't give him the max. They wanted four years, sixty million. I think. I think that's what he wanted. Um. Well, they could have. They could have, but they would have yeah. been like and drained. If completely drained. If they signed, I think they, they lowballed him on an offer. If they signed him to that, it would have been paying Harden, Durant, Westbrook, Ibaka, and Perkins over seventy million alone in twenty fourteen and the twenty fifteen season. And would have been paying the tax until at least 2016. And this is a small market team. So I just don't... I, I understand um, in hindsight why they made the trade. But, I mean, if if they knew, I, I don't think they would have... Yeah. But hold on. They, they played the luxury tax last season, or this season, whatever it was with the Paul George stuff. They were well into the luxury tax. I, maybe they just learn from their mistakes that you grow and learn as a GM, as in with any job. But if you're going to pay the luxury tax with Paul George, how do you not have the sense at the time to say, well, you know what? Maybe it's worth it to just roll the dice on these three guys. Because look at the steady improvement. You go first round one year, Western Conference Finals the next year, NBA Finals the next year. I... I yeah, you're going to be paying luxury tax and you're a small market team and that is going to hurt the wallet. And listen, it's tough to get in other people's pockets and say, oh, you should pay for this. You should pay for that. Yeah, it's it's tough to say, but I mean, this is going to be a championship team if you keep it together. And <laughs> I don't think you need that much depth around these three guys. I They had like they had a very old Derek Fisher playing some kind of big minutes in that last season. So I just think I'm going to add on to, to your... It's worth it. It's worth paying the luxury tax for a championship team like that. I'm going to add on to your, like, looking at the progress, but I'm going to do it at, as an, at, as, at an individual standpoint with Harden. In his rookie season, he averaged uh, 10 points off the bench, and then it went next season 12, and then the next, his final season with the Thunder, 16.8, and his field goal percentage was increasing. He shot 49% in... Uh, in his last season with the Thunder when he won sixth man of the year. So I just I just don't understand why they they would trade someone with that potential, but if if they couldn't pay all these guys, I do understand um getting rid of someone Harden though, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think the answer to all of your guys' questions is that X factor with Sergi Baca. You, you got to remember, too, that Serge Ibaka had an cr- incredible year this year, like the year before, the 2011-2012 the season. He averaged 3.7 blocks per game. That's insane. That, that, that's completely insane. They had a lot of confidence in him as a young talent. And apparently, once, once James Harden said it like was, showed like signs of hesitation, in returning to the Thunder, they were like, Ibaka's our guy. We, we we believe in him as a young talent as well. So, yeah, I think that's how it went down. That That's a fair point, especially at the time. Ibaka's coming off a great season, and he's a young player too. So, hey, you know, I'm picking two, between two young players. One of them's the sixth man. One of them starts and is a great defensive player. And, hey, I could just let KD and Westbrook run the offense and let Harden go for somewhere else. But even in that case... This deal, they get Kevin Martin. Kevin Martin at the time was a pretty solid player, and I guess they thought he would 
be their new sixth man, but obviously he doesn't replace the production that Harden gives. And, you know, I, I the one negative about doing these podcasts is I hate be, just going back and say, oh, this was such a stupid move. Because it's so easy to say yeah, that. Obviously, right. we know it, it ended up being a bad move. But it it does bring an interesting point. Like, what what if they hold on to Harden? What if they find another deal with a different team? What if they trade Ibaka and, you know, all that stuff? But let's just get into some. I guess we'll finish up with some legacy stuff with the OKC. Th- like, first we'll talk about how they're viewed as their team and then, like, what they could have been. So, these three seasons are very impressive seasons. Now... It's only three seasons, so it's tough to say this. But would you? Well, we use the word talented. Was this OKC team the most talented team of this past decade, or among the top two or three? Hmm. It's tough. That is very tough because because honestly, actually, I think I'm gonna throw a team that you guys wouldn't expect. Maybe you guys would don't say the Nets. No, not the Nets. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Um, Yo, I was D- gonna say, D'Angelo Russell, bro. <laughs> well, if, if I was making that argument for any Nets team, it would be the uh, Paul Pierce, KG, Darren Williams. In their primes, that's probably one of the most talented teams, but um, I, I was going to say the Spurs. I was going to say okay. the Spurs. I like that. The Spurs with Kawhi, Tim Duncan, Manu mm-hmm. Ginobili. And Tony Parker. Yeah. That's a very talented team. Very talented team. And I guess you could argue they won something. It wasn't like, uh, OKC, they didn't... In a three-season span, OKC didn't win any... Well, they, they won playoff series. They didn't win a finals, but the Spurs get to two finals with that team, and they win one of them. So you have a good point. I'll just go with my opinion real quick before I let Joe go. I, I do think... I'm put the Warriors number one as the most talented team of this decade. And then I'm going to throw these OKC teams number two. Now, of course, the Cavs and the Spurs and the Heat are up there. Now, it's crazy to say, oh, well, the Heat, though. The, the Heat are the ones that took down this OKC team and they win the finals the next year. I just think you have three future MVPs on this team. And we'll, go to, we'll get, in about, get into the what-ifs after this, but... I, I, if you keep this team together, there's no doubt in my mind they win a couple of championships. Two to three, I, I think, is their ceiling. And you have th- obviously they're not going to win the MVPs like we talked about before with the usage rate and everything. Like they wouldn't be the main target. Obviously, they run through all three of each other. But I think this team was insanely talented, and they had three elite scoring options who at the peak of their careers are all MVP caliber players. So I do believe this is the most talented. If we're just going to talk about talent wise, talented yeah. team. I like the OKC Thunder behind the Warriors as the second most talented team. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say like, um, I don't think the heat really fit the argument that much because right. we're talking about individual talent, like grouped in one team and mm-hmm. you have KD who is not, not going to be on the same level as LeBron by the end of his career, but he'll be in the same conversation. And I think James Harden and Russell Westbrook, I think James Harden, by the end of his career, this might be a hot take. James Harden could very well 
establish himself as a better player than Dwayne Wade? Yes. Yes. It's possible. Well, it's possible. Uh, he just averaged 36 points a game. So I don't think you're far off at all by saying that. Yeah. A couple I more think, crazy scoring seasons like this past season. Absolutely. I could see that. Yeah. And I think Russell Westbrook, as far as talent goes, is a more talented player than Chris Bosch. So, yeah, I, I would put them above the heat I'm, in that regard. I'm going to respond to James first. Uh, James, I completely agree with your rankings. I think that the Thunder would be two or three. The Warriors, Cavs, and Heat Spurs definitely somewhere in there. Um, but where, where, I, where I disagree with you is that I think the only reason that Westbrook and Harden won MVPs is because they were on their own individual teams and it was forced on them basically to to carry their teams. I think Durant definitely could have won an MVP just because of the scoring machine that he is. But if you keep these three together on the Thunder, I don't see Westbrook or Harden winning an MVP. Maybe Durant, he has a good chance, but Nick um I think I think that you're definitely underestimating the Heat. Um, Chris Bosh took like a back seat, like a third row back seat. He was a great player, a great power forward, and no, he yeah, was great. Uh, but he's he's not he's not on Russell Westbrook's level. Individual talent, I think that is definitely a top five team, and I I feel like you're definitely underrating them because, I mean, are we just looking at individual? Because this team did more than OKC, so yeah. The, I, I don't the argument is the argument is individual talent grouped on a t- on a team, on a team based on what? So like as, based on talent? No, no on based their on careers. their talent. Yeah, 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 on their careers right. and their talent. I don't know. I I saw one team beat. I saw the Heat beat the Thunder in the finals. So I I can't see you putting but the what if, over the Heat. So uh, one of these what if scenarios. What if they run it back the next year with Harden? You don't think it's out of the realm of possibility? Because guess what? That next season, they're one missed offensive rebound by Chris Bosh away from losing to the Spurs in six. So an OKC team, which already took down the Spurs team the year before, you don't think they can get another crack at the Heat and you know finally move on to the next? Listen, the evolution phase of this team was pretty much telling you they're going to win the NBA Finals by this fourth season, and they don't even get a chance to prove it in that fourth That's season. That's a crazy hypothetical. Maybe if you like simulate it in, in 2K, I, I really don't know um, <laughs> what would have happened if Harden stayed on the Thunder. Um, I could see them I could see them making noise, but you got to understand that Westbrook and Harden have, have a stigma of, of, of being a choker. So that also has to be taken into account that these two are well, known to not show up in the playoffs in big moments. Well, I also think that's part like media anti-hype. Like they anti-hype these players so much. But Russ and James Harden have plenty of clutch moments. Plenty of clutch moments. I agree with that. But no rings. Okay. That's what matters, bro. I'm sorry. That, Legacies are built no, on rings in the that, NBA. That's why people say Jordan's Tal- the goat. Talent does not. E- talent does not. Talent, individual talent does not equal rings. Everybody knows that. It's teamwork. It's the amount of talent you can accrue at one time, and the time in which you do it in their career. You should tell that to people who that's, think Jordan's better than LeBron. 
man, I I don't even want to get into this, bro. Yeah, that's I don't another, even want to get into this. That's another day. We'll I'm keep not, that off. I'm not getting. I'm not getting but into this. One other thing I want to bring up is we've looked at Russell Westbrook as the triple double machine past couple of seasons, right? He's been the first player to ever average a triple double over the season over a course of a full regular season. Now, if this Oklahoma City team stays together, he doesn't do that. So, it's kind of crazy to think this team staying together actually this team breaking apart rather might have turned Russell Westbrook into, like, a, a, it's tough to say if Russell Westbrook's going to end up as an all-time great, but I he's obviously in a category of his own as he's the only player to average a triple-double, so I don't, it's crazy to think he doesn't get to that level without this insane team breaking apart. So I just wanted to bring up that as, as a really interesting point. Do you know what I view Russell Westbrook as? Well, who? Do you ever like do you ever go on Twitter and like you see like clips of like old NBA highlights and and like the caption is like never forget how nasty insert name here is. That's that's uh-huh. what I see him as. Like I see him as a player uh, that's I <laughs> No, I that's a good him. point. I actually like like cuz listen, I, like I said, I believe that Russell Westbrook is going to win a championship in the next couple of seasons with the Rockets. But I'm not like fully so into that point that I can, I'm dismissing the possibility that Russell Westbrook retires without any rings. And we talk about Russell Westbrook as, wow, he was such a great player, but man, he really couldn't get it done at the end of the day. I could see I him could, in that AI, that AI category. Yeah, mm-hmm. Like I could see him in that, in that realm of conversation. So yeah, around that area, I think that'll be his legacy. I think he'll always be remembered as an all time great. I don't think anybody will question that. It's just about what he didn't achieve. You know, that's always going to be in the back of, of, like, the conversation. But, yeah, I think people will respect his greatness by the end of his career. I think I think he'll be well off in terms of the legacy. Yeah, what, he, what he's done is definitely remarkable, especially with his averaging of triple-doubles. But I don't see him ever winning a ring, and I feel the same way about James Harden, especially now that these two are on the same team. It makes it even more perfect. Um... I kind of want them to win a ring, though, but I just don't see the way that they play and, and, and their systems. Maybe there's a new system coming. We're going to have to wait and see, but I just don't see them winning a ring. Even I don't, I don't even see them getting to the finals again, as I said before, but individual legacies, I think they'll go down. Well, Harden will go down as one of the greatest scorers in NBA history, and Westbrook will just be... An all-around great talent, but I don't see any rings going down with them either. Well, um, that's that's just until KD comes to the Rockets. Wow. Th- three seasons? What is it? Reunites the whole that. squad I'm together. I'm ready for that. I'm ready yeah, for no, that. Yeah, they just that reunite. That would be fresh if they, if they like, reunited on some, like, on some like crazy shit like that. No, that would be that so would be fresh. fresh. That would be some shit, honestly. Because no, like, no, KD has been kind of all over the place. He goes from... This this OKC team to the seventy three win Warriors to the Brooklyn Nets like he's kind of been all over the place with his decision making. Who knows? Maybe he wants to link up with the boys for one la- one last yeah. run and they go out and win a championship. I mean, do you know what I was thinking about? I might have to read. You know what I was thinking about? My statement about them not winning a ring if they get KD again. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about how crazy the West would have been if KD stayed. 
and Russ and James Harden were competing in the same conference as KD, and they would have Ooh. to face each other in the playoffs. Think about where, that. Where that would have been KD so be crazy. In this hypothetical situation. No, no, on the Warriors. On oh. the Warriors. Oh, like, he get, stays with the Warriors. They lose. <sighs> they pushed them to seven with Chris Paul, and they upgraded. I don't know about that. All right, you don't got to get, like, weird voiced on me, but... You're, you already I know how know I feel that. about that. I you already know, know how I feel. That. I definitely... I, I think that's light work for the Warriors. A healthy Warriors team, not with, like... Light work? Yeah, I think that's very simple. Listen, that, like if this happened, if this happened last voice. year and Katie and Clay were completely healthy, I, I don't even think maybe six, maybe, maybe six. Listen, all Houston had to do in 2018 was not go all for 27. From and through, they didn't you know, do that, it. They didn't do it. They didn't. But if they hit three or four of those if, threes that they miss in a row, if. But then that's how close they were. That's what I'm trying right, to say. That's, that's how, how close, close they, they were. were to doing this. And, and yeah, the Seahawks so should have ran the ball. Off. That's and how I think, close they were, too. They were literally inches, uh, yards away, and they, they, they fucked up, too, man. All right, well, you know what? Okay. I, I believe in the Rockets. That's that's the point I'm trying to get across to this podcast. I'm sleep on the Rockets. And you know what? And that's the point okay. I'm trying to get. Okay. I, th- I think we're getting a little off topic. So should we wrap this up, or you guys got anything else? So wrap it up, Dan. <laughs> so, listen, this OKC team is, is going to go, in my opinion, it's the best what-if scenario in the NBA over the past decade or so. It, it just had so much potential, and to see it just come crashing down after three seasons and after just successful climbing the ladder each season hurts to see, but... I think we all have fond memories of this OKC team, and you know we can't wait to see them reunite in three years in Houston. My uh, yeah, my closing statement is definitely that I don't see these two um making a another run like that unless Katie goes back there, as we said, and links up with the boys. Um, but yeah, I think also our viewers out there go check out the website, go check out the articles. There will be more coming. And that's all I gotta say. And also check out our social media. Yes, definitely. Twitter at at then now sports, Instagram, TNN Sports. Those are our two main lines of communication right now. Maybe we'll get some more. Yeah, so some we'll questions. work on yeah, that. Just give us topics to talk about. Yeah. Word. If you give us some questions, we we'll answer them. We'll answer them on the podcast. Maybe even give you a maybe shout we'll out. make that a separate segment. Yeah, maybe a separate segment, some shout-outs for people who are supporting us. Let us know. But, yeah, that's that's all I have to say. And ho- hope you enjoyed this, guys. Absolutely. Just one more thing I want to bring up. We're going to be releasing. We're now going to be at the point. We're going to go two podcasts a week. Now, I know you guys saw, like I saw, training camp has started for the NFL. I, I could not be any more hype. And we're going to get into some NFL stuff over the next couple of weeks. We're going to do some little previews. We'll go week by week, maybe just bring up some, you know, maybe go division by division, just some interesting stuff. Who will think wins MVP, coach of the year, all that stuff. We'll try to get into that and some more. Obviously, we're in the middle of baseball season. We're not going to forget about baseball. And, you know, that's really it. So I hope you guys enjoyed. 